And now we're going to talk about our series, Pastor 411. I guess I missed last Sunday. I guess it was good, right? Oh. Okay, I sort of got an applause. Did you screw this up last week or what? So today you're stuck with Ryan and I uh, answering your questions. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, people think I'm in the next round of the preach-off. Oh, we're doing a preach-off, are we? But uh, Mark got a bye to the final. So oh, that's what that is. I got to battle it out today. Yeah. So do you have an interesting week this week? I see uh, your wife's up here leading music. He's a really pretty worship leader, you know? Yeah. Uh, Phil's got good hair, but I'm not talking about him. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. We're making sure Phil's not the pretty worship leader? Well, he does have good hair. Yeah. Okay. That's, 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 yeah. Well, that's good for him. How about you? How was your trip last weekend? It was good. It was nice to get away. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the water at water slides and stuff with our kids. Um, we just needed a break after extravaganza. Uh, to be honest, our family was exhausted. And so, uh, but we're very thankful. Um, I was at a banquet this weekend and people that I, that don't attend our church and things like that were talking about it. Um, that uh, they uh, were like, wow, we saw your Easter event did really well. We heard through the grapevine, whatever that might be. So uh, thanks again for uh, helping out with that. Yeah, you're welcome. You know that bunny costume still. I had actually the mask <laughs> on on Friday at youth. And uh, the older kids are still more afraid of it than uh, the younger kids. So that's a good Easter mask. There we go. Yeah. So uh, today, uh, Ryan and I are going to answer your questions for Pastor 411. So uh, what's the most burning question? This week, what's number one? So number one is a great one, and this is one that I always ask growing up too. If my clicker would work here, well, help Will me there. turn it on. But uh, I don't know, maybe. Uh, off to a good start. Um, so I'm confused. Why are there so many versions of the Bible? It's a great question. Um, it's one that I always kind of wondered myself. It's like, oh, we read that the Word of God is perfect, which it is. Um, but growing up, I was always like, well, how did they get so many hundreds and thousands of translations? Um, it's important to note that the, the Old Testament was written in mainly in Hebrew and, and the New Testament in Greek. So much like the game telephone, if you're going to play telephone with your friends where you whisper in someone's ear, the, the closest you're ever going to get to the original message is the person who actually says it. So much like the Bible, when, when we read, if we were to be able to speak Greek and Hebrew, um, that's the closest you're ever going to get to being um, as close to what the original author meant. Um, but over the last like couple uh, thousand years, um, a lot of translations have come into play. So back in the 1300s, uh, John Wycliffe actually made a Bible. He believed that every person should be able to read the Bible in their native tongue. <clears throat> and I would agree. Uh, and you know what? That Bible, I don't, I don't actually have never read it. Um, but in 1611, the, uh, the KJV came along. I know we have a lot of KJV loyalists in here who like the KJV, and that's awesome. And that's what we call a word-for-word -word translation. So whoever uh, translated that, which was a number of scholars, then go through and they try and make... Um, the scriptures as close to the original context as possible. Uh, and there's been a number of translations since, like the, uh, the ERV, which is the English Revised Version, came out um, in um, Britain. And the Americans responded by creating the ASV. And then the NASB came out trying to make a bridge between the two more understandable language so that we could read it and understand it better. And then the NIV came. And the NIV was kind of trying to bridge the NASB, and gave us more modern language so that younger people could read it and that, that maybe a new believer could go through it and read it and understand the scriptures better. There's a lot of translations. Some, I had a, I had a Bible uh, prof in, in Bible school who refused to read anything but the ESV. 
he believed that the English Standard Version was, that was it. Um, and, and you know, much myself, like I know I was talking to Pastor Mark, a lot of us, um, like I know when I write a sermon, I go through a number of them. Mark said he go, sometimes reads even up to six translations. And there are differences in them, and they all do remain true to the Word of God. Even the message, uh, which was written by Eugene Peterson, is, I like to call it, like, it's almost like a movie script. Uh, I had a friend who, who came to Christ, and he opened the, I think I gave him an NIV Bible, and he opened it, and he really didn't understand what he was reading. So I was like, okay, so what can we do here? So I gave him the message, and it's like, wow, this is awesome. Like, it's these, these cool, kind of more modernized terms, phrases, um, idioms, things like that, that are, are so helpful to someone who might not be able to understand Scripture uh, if they didn't have that. So today, I kind of want to take a second to read uh, 1 John 3.17 in a few different translations, just so you can see uh, what a drastic difference um, a, a translation can make. So in the KJV, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brothers have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So myself, I have a degree in theology. Um, I have a hard time understanding that, to be perfectly honest. Um, There's a lot of people, my grandma loved reading the KJV. Uh, it's, It's awesome. But for some people, they might not be able to understand that. So we go to something like the ESV, which is, but if anyone's... If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's God's love abide in him? We go to the uh, ESVs twice, so. NIV. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The NLT. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion... How can God's love be in that person? And finally, the message. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. So there's a couple translations. Um, You know, you see the language in the message. It's very different. Um, I would think of a college student reading that and be able to understand it far better than if they were to read the KJV. There's a lot of people that read that, and they're like, I want to hear what the original author and what the closest they had to say to it. Um, that was what we would call word-to-word, more so in the KJV, uh, the ESV, the NASB. And once you get into the NIV, the NLT, and the message, it's more of a phrase-for-phrase or a thought-for-thought translation where they don't just take every word and translate, they take a thought and turn it into something that is more readable for us. So I hope that's helpful. There you go. Um, Are there any other translations that you're just all about? Well, I know what he's hinting at. So Luke, when he went to Hawaii, brought me the Jesus book. So, the Jesus book is a Hawaiian translation of scripture. Um, and honestly, it's, it's awesome. So, I'm going to try and find this here. I thought I had it open. Here we go. 1 John 3, 17, correct? If get somebody that plenty stuffs, and they see that their brother or sister no more nothing. I love this accent, by the way. But they no more pity for them. How they can say that they love and aloha for God? No can. Amen. So, Thank you. Yeah, aloha to all of you. Yes. So something that's really important is, as you might ask, so which Bible translation should I use? And the answer is simple. It really depends. If if you're studying uh, God's Word, like I said, uh, one of my profs, he had, I think, two or three PhDs. He always read the ESV. Um, He believed for studying. He wanted to get as close to what the original meaning was as possible. And that means word for word. 
if you're a new believer, maybe you're sitting down to read and you just really want to enjoy what you're reading and just be able to understand every single, every single sentence. Maybe something like the NLT is good for you or the message. It really depends. If you're a new believer, I would not encourage you to jump right into to a message or a translation that is harder to understand. Maybe the message is more for you. At the end of the day, it really depends. And I think it's important to realize that that this is kind of a Western thing where we're all stuck on which translation is best or which translation should I use. You see, uh, there's a lot of countries in this world that they don't even have one Bible in their initial language, their original language. And, and we have so many, and I think it's important to find one that you do like and that you care about and that you enjoy reading. Um, but there are a lot of people on this planet who don't have God's word in their language. Um, so the answer is really simple. It depends for you, um, but there are a lot of people that through a translation would even be able to hear it at all, much like the Jesus book. Which is in Hawaiian pidgin, if you didn't know. Ooh, yes, Hawaiian pidgin. So. so yeah, that's the native language of uh, Hawaii. So. Uh, it's always interesting to read a different translation in a different language, technically. So. Yeah, and I don't think you have to read it in the accent that I did, but it's, <laughs> it's hard not to. That's all I will say. Yeah. So, that's good. Uh, what translation do you read? Honestly, when I'm sitting down, I prefer reading the NLT. Um, I'm a younger person. I understand it better. Um, when I'm writing a sermon, I do like reading the ESV or the NASB. But if I'm ever stuck, I have no problem going to a translation that I can understand better. Um, but yeah, I do like reading the NLT. That's good. Yeah. Personally, I read uh, the NLT in the morning. I read what's called the Chronological Bible, which means that the events that happen in the Bible are in chronological order, so I can kind of understand. I'm more of a story guy, so I got to understand all the moving parts. And so, uh, and currently, I also am reading, I got a copy of the new CSB, which is Christian Standard Bible that came out. And so uh, I'm reading through that just to see what's in there. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, that, does that wrap up our Bible? Yeah, no, jump, okay. jump in the next okay. question. Excited. Uh, our next question is, can communion only be done at church by a trained leader? So this question is an interesting one, and we'll uh, dive into it. Um, why, let's first talk about why we do communion in the first place. Uh, the church practices the Lord's Supper, as we often call it, or communion, um, is a constant reminder of Christ's death on the cross. Uh, once you have accepted Christ, you take communion. It's that remembrance. We find that in uh, 1 Corinthians. Read that or not? I might have made it too small. Uh, the Lord uh, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat or drink of this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." So that's kind of the instructions we got. Um, there are some things Christianity agrees on, like when we talk about big church, big C, um, the universal church of Christ, uh, we agree on some things about communion. We don't agree on, we may not agree on all of them. So here's what we agree on. We agree that it's thanksgiving to the Father. We agree that it's a memorial to Christ. It's an invocation. It's an inviting of the Spirit uh, that uh, it is the communion of the faithful, of the believers, and uh, a meal of the kingdom. So as we kind of understand what communion is, can it be done by a trained church? Does it have to be done at church and by a trained church leader? 
Well, let's talk about those differences. So there's a spectrum. It kind of goes from literal to traditional, memorial to symbolic. Um, you can kind of see the difference on that slide right there. So uh, the Catholic, there's Catholic teaching to Baptist thinking, right? Or teaching. Uh, so Catholics uh, believe in what's called transubstantiation, which when I was in seminary was a no-no word. Um, it, uh, it, it freaked a lot of people out. So anyway, uh, the elements, they believe the elements physically become the body and blood of Christ when you ingest them. So uh, the sacrament, as they call it, or the Eucharist, is the elements of bread and wine are changed in the body of blood, that transubstantiation, they physically change um, as you are ingesting those elements. Uh, you'll find this in Catholic churches, and because of that, they only believe the priests can serve communion. Then you kind of go down the next kind of list of uh, consubstantiation, which is Lutheran, which Christ becomes physically present in and with the elements. So there, it's kind of a deviation. It's not the elements changing, but Christ comes into those elements. Uh, there's spiritualization, which is reformed, which uh, the participant enters into a spiritual communion with Christ, and then there's commemoration, which is very Baptist, of uh, we participate, we memorialize Christ's death. It's a symbolic act that, uh, that we do. Um, and we find these, and we find the symbolic in Scripture. Um, in the church at Jerusalem met uh, in the home of Mary, we find out in Acts 12, in Philippi at the home of Lydia, uh, Ephesus, Aquila, and Priscilla, um, and Colossae, they met in Philemon's house. So we learn in Act 2 that the early church met regularly for apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. So uh, if you haven't guessed, West Meadows, we fall on this symbolic um, idea of this. And uh, it's not necessarily about the location. It's about the remembrance of Christ. For example, Ryan, we, you and I in our small group, we could have a small group communion, and as people, not as pastors, right? So uh, maybe uh, when we go or somebody goes to visit a friend in the hospital and there's a couple of believers there, they could do communion together. Um, it's that following of Christ's pattern that's important, and it's that there's a fellowship, right? It's not, it's not you sitting at home at your dinner table going, I'm going to take communion now, and I'll take this cracker and take this juice. And, like, it's meant to be done together, right, um, in that kind of fellowship as we uh, follow Christ's pattern in that. So, uh, yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. Sure. Um, and have you, ever, have you ever done it outside of the church? I can't say that I had. I did have a pastor once that had a mini communion set at his desk. And... Uh, Never know. He was he was very Anglican though, so he uh, he felt like he should take communion every day by himself. So. Okay, well that's helpful. That's a really good question, actually. I, I appreciate that thought. Um, the next question: um, If Paul tells us to conduct ourselves, why does he also talk about how he's such a terrible guy or why he's so terrible? Now, what this is referring to <clears throat> is the verse found in Philippians 1:27, which reads, "Whatever happens, conduct yourselves." in a matter worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So, so we must conduct ourselves, whether we're going through trial, whether we're going through persecution, whether it's, it's in the sinful nature of our life, we have to conduct ourselves, and that's what Paul is telling us. 
But also, which is where the other part of the question comes in, is if you flip to Romans 7 and leading into Romans 8, we read about how Paul thinks he's kind of a bad guy. He says, Although, or, so I find this law at work. This is in Romans 7, 21 to 24. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will, res- who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? There's some strong language in there. He refers to himself as a prisoner, a slave to sin. What a wretched, horrible man I am. Now, that's strong language. But if he also tells us to conduct ourselves, it's kind of hard to see, well, how can this guy be telling us to conduct ourselves when he's just t- calling himself a wretched guy? And it's a great question. Now, if you go back earlier into Romans 7, Paul is referencing the Old Testament Mosaic Law. See, the, the Mosaic Law was a, a set of rules, instructions, commandments given by God to the children of Israel. And it's important, Paul says this a number of times, the law is good. The law is good. You see, God is good. God created the law, so the law is good. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You see, the law creates a standard. It's the standard of God's holiness that he expects in his people. Um, and Paul, Paul is struggling with that. He's like, you know, I just, I, I, I want to do good, but then my flesh fails me. And he's frustrated. I think we've all been there in our own lives. Maybe, you know, maybe you have trouble with, with cheating or stealing or, or just making the same mistake over and over and over again. And you sit there and you stare at yourself in the mirror and you're like, what a wretched person I am. You know, I know what I need to do. I know what's best for me. But I just struggle so much that I just, I can't even look at myself anymore. I think we've all been there. But Paul, what Paul's stating about the law is that the, law, the problem isn't with the law. It's kind of like if, if, you're, if you're a parent, and I understand this one as the child part of it more so because I'm not a parent, but my mom would always say to me, Ryan, don't go in the candy cabinet. So what would I do? I would go in the candy cabinet. If you tell a kid not to put his hand in the cookie jar, he's going to go in the cookie jar. And this goes right back into Genesis in the Garden of Eden. They were told to stay away from one tree. And I loved how I was talking with Pastor Mark this week, and he put it, imagine the Garden of Eden as this massive garden. We we can assume it's it's a a couple hundred acres big, maybe bigger. And there's just this one portion that they are supposed to stay away from. And it would be fair to say, you know, why don't you just put like some yellow caution tape, as if they had it back then, but why don't you put some... (laughs) some tape around it, and just, you know, stay away from that. But they were told to stay away from it, so what did their sinful nature do? It's like, I wonder, wonder what it's like. And that's what Paul is saying. The law identifies sin and makes it that much harder to stay away from. And he's like, I just, I, 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 I'm struggling, and I, I don't, who will rescue me from this? And in 725, he says, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And, and, and what comes in Romans 8 is very important. In Romans 8, it starts with a therefore, talking about the, verse, or the chapter before. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, which we gain when we accept him, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... So the law, the law outlines it, but we're so weak that it, it, we, we can't ever reach that. God did 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like you and I. That's who Jesus was. He understood what it was like to be tempted. He understood what it was like to have this, this desire, yet he never did. He never fell into that temptation in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Not for us, but in us. And that's only through Jesus. So Paul does tell us to conduct ourselves. And you know, we have to. At every point of our lives, through our weeks, when we struggle, we need to turn to Jesus, who is the one who has accomplished that in us. No matter what you're going through, maybe you're going through struggle, maybe you're going through persecution, maybe you're going through trial, maybe you're just the person who's admitting, you know what, I'm a weak person. When you stand in that with Jesus, what a witness it is for him. You know, that's powerful stuff, and I think that's what Paul's getting at here. And and he's, he's bold enough to say, here's what we need to do, but here's who I am. And man, am I ever in need of a Savior. Amen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's important for us to point out that, uh, just so you know, if you don't know already, that we're pastors, we're human. Uh, we, we do the same things you do. We struggle with the same things. Um, we have to walk through it. And so it's a good reminder for us as well. I threw a remote at the TV this year when the Oilers lost a game. So, just joke. Did you break it? No. no. I didn't. Oh, I missed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> Okay, moving on. (laughs) Wasn't a good season. season. Uh, Ryan and I are at least bonded together since both our teams are not going anywhere near a cup um, this year. So anyway, uh, jumping off your point, though, it's interesting uh, thinking about the Garden of Eden and uh, that temptation and things that happen and, uh, you know, that Eve was tempted by an apple. Um, obviously, Satan is very powerful um, in that. And, uh, and one of the questions we got was, how do I recognize a spiritual battle and pray? So uh, we know uh, from Scripture that... Uh, uh, let's see. That uh, we, there is a spiritual realm. There is a battle in a spiritual realm in Ephesians 6. Uh, and it says, starting in verse 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there's a question that kind of came up as I thought about this this week. Uh, Is every struggle spiritual that we have? Well, James answers this for us. It says, however, we cannot blame every temptation on Satan, since the Bible also teaches that we are tempted and enticed by our own evil desires in James. So it's interesting because there ends up being two kind of emphasis that happen here. There is overemphasis, um, two primary errors. There's overemphasis uh, and underemphasis. So for overemphasis, some people... For some people, every sin, conflict, life issue, Ryan hits me, Satan did it. You don't want to do that, Luke. Right. <laughs> I need to cast out the devil um, or the devil made me do it, right? Okay. I get that. But then there's underemphasis as well, which is for, uh, for others, 
they completely ignore. There is no spiritual realm, like it's all free will, it's all this, like, you know, there, there's nothing, nothing out there. So then there's the balance, which uh, Apostle Paul instructs us. Christian uh, instructs Christians to wage war against sin in themselves in Romans 6 and warns us to oppose the schemes of the devil in Ephesians, right? So, but before we start, let's talk about who Satan is. Ryan, let's play a little game. I like games. If I say good, what do you say? What's the opposite of good? Evil or Calgary okay. Flames. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Or Edmonton Eskimos. Okay. <laughs> uh, light versus dark. There you go. I told you what it was. Never nice. mind. Two for two. Life. Death. There you go. Uh, Tim Hortons. Nothing. <laughs> Starbucks. No, I'll give you the answer. You're I should for. put Starbucks first since Tim Hortons is like way down there on the list these days. <laughs> anyway, uh, what's the opposite of God? Congregation? Is that right, Ryan? I would argue no. That is correct. God has no opposite. Satan would be equated to the kind of the archangel Michael. Um, he is a fallen angel. He is not God. He wanted to be God, um, but he didn't get to be God. And so understanding him, um, Lucifer or Satan thought he could become God, um, but he didn't instead. He's a fallen angel. Uh, he, it's been, he's been described, he's a real person with a real personality. He has intellect, emotion, and will. He doesn't have a body, um, but has supposedly, and uh, has been seen, uh, manifested himself physically. He has great power, but he is not omnipotent. What does that mean? He's not all-powerful. There you go. Yep. He also has great wisdom, which means he is not omniscient. Um, and... Uh, he might seemingly be able to tempt you everywhere, but he is not what? Remember? Omni. Omnipresent. There you go. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere, right? Um, so Satan isn't always just attacking Ryan, right? Like, he's not just standing here because he's got to spread it around a little, right? You know? Um, so, so just, uh, so what do you do is kind of the next question. The biblical instruction is, is that uh, we submit ourselves to God to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? This holds true as if, you're, if it's your evil desires or the temptation is from Satan. It could be both. could be one or the other. I think we have to remember that. We still have a wicked heart inside of us just because we've become saved. Like, we can still desire something, right? Like, I can still cover a Lamborghini that I will never get. But, you know, I don't know that Satan's necessarily tempting me to covet that. Um, that shiny paint can kind of do it for me. So, um, but you have a choice in the Lord. You know, and resistance is and uh, is active, not passive, right? So, if you're struggling with something, what are you going to do? Are you going to listen to the little lies over here, or twisting the apple, twisting the truth, like Eve had with the apple? The doubts that come in: I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. Whatever. 
um, or even just the temptation that comes along? Are you going to seek God's word, dig in, deal, you know, deal with your own sin? Maybe, maybe you need to confess your own sin. Maybe you need to recognize your own sin as well. So how do you pray for that? How do you pray against whether it's a spiritual battle or the evil that you're dealing with in your own heart and stuff like that? Ephesians 6, 13 to 18 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. And this is very important, this next part. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Actively pray, confess, don't be double-minded. But also pray for others, not just yourself, right? In that spirit of God. So as we think about this and uh, we walk through this, it's kind of a tough topic, but I encourage you to uh, think, think through when you go through your battles in life, and we'll all have issues. Is this something I need to confess, or is this a temptation that might be of Satan, and uh, I need to uh, dig in the word as well and pray for that in a different way as well? So um, I just think those are important. Yeah, and just to, as I think about that, um, <clears throat> I think it's, it's interesting when he asked the opposite of God. I think a lot of people on this, this earth are going to say Satan. And as we've come through the Easter weekend, and you know, it's just being people who, who a lot of us have experienced that power that God has, um, there is no other name than the name of Jesus. And, and that's so true. Um, when, we, when we go through struggle, when we go through these attacks, um, which I think are very real sometimes, um, it's important to remember um, in your heart, when you feel those, those pullings of the enemy, when he's like, yeah, you should do that. I think of it as like those cartoons on Bugs Bunny where there's like the, the devil on one shoulder and, and the angel on the other shoulder. What's so important in that verse is, is we read about this, the armor of God as if it's just this, this protective thing. And I like to think of it like that as this big soldier who's just guarded up in, in what God has given us. Um, but the end, the sword of the spirit, typically, unless you're some sort of Marvel superhero, you're not waving your sword blocking stuff. We have something to fight against the enemy, and that is the sword of the Spirit. So when you feel attacked, when you feel under pressure, when you feel the enemy so, so near um, to your decision-making in your heart, we have the sword of the Spirit to fight him off. Pray against him. One of the coolest stories that I've ever had in my whole life, um, which, which I want to share because it, it, it still sticks with me, is I had a friend, I was about 14 years old, and, and this isn't when it really when I read my Bible a whole lot. I was more focused on hockey at the time. So I really had no knowledge of scripture at all. Um, and one night he had this horrible dream and he said he woke up screaming. And, and I didn't really know what to do or, or what to say. I was 14 years old. But I'll never, ever forget. I closed my eyes and I said a prayer for him. And I, I, I kid you not, I saw the word Ephesians 6 in my mind. And, and I'll never forget. Okay, well, I'll open it up. And I opened it up and I read this verse. And that was one of the moments in my life where I've never felt 
I've never understood how someone could, be that, could ever doubt a God because of that moment where I had no knowledge. There's thousands and thousands of verses in that perfect book, and that's the verse God gave me. So I didn't really have the knowledge at the time. I was like, put on the armor of God, Carson. Um, but honestly, um, that is such a, an awesome thing. When, when we're being attacked, we have this, this awesome, cool, bulky armor. Um, and that's because, you know what, Jesus has already defeated. Um, he's already defeated Satan. He has, Satan has no victory, no hold on us. And it's right back to what I said, you know. Mm-hmm. You go into Romans 8, there's nothing, not even angels nor demons, can separate you from the love of God. And I also think, too, uh, that we often don't recognize we, we give Satan far too much credit uh, than he deserves. Um, he loves when you say, yep, he made me do it. Yep, okay, put that on a checkbox somewhere, right? Um, uh, seek the word, right? That's the important part. Uh, will you uh, bow your heads and pray with me uh, today? Lord, we just uh, thank you that we can uh, discuss these things, discuss these questions, discuss uh, all of these things that you've asked us um, that maybe we just don't know about, Lord, that we uh, just have uh, not an understanding about or, or whatever it might be, Lord, that uh, we thank you you that uh, you allow us to seek your word and the word provides the answers it's not from us it's from you and that ultimately you are the only one Lord. And uh, we do pray for protection against the schemes of the devil we do pray for us to recognize and confess our own sin we um, pray for us to be in the word and be in prayer Lord. and uh, we just thank you for that we thank you that well, we can do that we have those tools in north america that are amazing that uh, we can dig into uh, we pray for those countries around the world that are getting their first Bible translation, um, that uh, we would celebrate with them in their own native language, Lord. We pray, Lord, for all the things that you want to do through us. May we not block you. May we just be open hearts and open minds and walk in your path and listen well. We just love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.